1: you yeah.
2: All right, welcome everybody to The Lakers Legacy Podcast where on the 15th day of Christmas my GM sent to me 5000 trade proposals that don't work under the salary cap because the Lakers are hard capped under the first day oh <laughs> So happy holidays and welcome to Trade Miss Bonanza. That time of the year again, where we swap our own players more than we swap white elephant Christmas gifts, as we are now past the December 15th date in which most all free agents in the NBA signed this offseason are now eligible to be traded. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, hey, how are you doing this winter holiday season? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. <laughs> You are very welcome. It's always good to hear. As I mentioned in today's episode, we will be talking about some non-Alex Caruso, non-Zach Levine trades on the margins that will mainly center around JHS, maybe some cheap draft capital, but no D'Angelo Russell or any of LA's other bigger names. We're going to be looking mainly at margin trades that the Lakers could look at now that we're past the December 15th trade milestone date. A little caveat to this episode, we as the Lakers Legacy Podcast are currently on our own holiday break of sorts, but we wanted to make sure that we still had some insightful holiday content for you guys to chew on, so this is a pre-recorded Evergreen trade episode that we wanted to throw your way. That should still be very relevant because who doesn't love talking about hypothetical trade scenarios, especially now that we've passed the December 15th trade milestone date. But yeah, if you hear anything in this episode that seems a bit outdated, or if our analysis doesn't take into account a recent injury that happened to one of the players we're talking about, now you know why. But before we get to all of that trade talk, with the holidays in full swing, Christmas right around the corner, and people more likely to cozy up with friends and family and get into TV binge mode, for today's icebreaker, I know that's getting a bit literal for some of you in colder parts of the country or the world, For today's icebreaker, Tommy, I thought we could tell the people what we've been watching recently and give them some good TV binging wrecks. So, outside of watching the second season of DreamWorks animated kids show Dewdrop Diaries on Netflix, particularly watching the episode entitled The Baby Glitters Club, written by yours truly, Tommy, what have you been watching recently? So
3: I actually haven't watched, I haven't been watching anything, like, new, new. It's, I think, older stuff. Like, I've been watching Andor recently. Um, I'm, like, a few episodes okay. in. That's actually, so far, been one of my favorite, uh, sort of, like, Star Wars universe shows on Disney+. Plus. Um, I've liked that... Uh, Have you seen Jury Duty on Amazon?
2: You've told me about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh god, you gotta watch it,
3: dude! You gotta watch it; it's so good. Okay, tell us a little
2: bit about Jury Duty and why it's funny.
3: Basically, there's a fake trial happening that is that, and everyone involved is an actor except for one guy. Um, And basically, this guy gets like, uh, you know, they they put a Craigslist ad up and they say like they're filming a documentary about the American judicial system and you know, they're inviting volunteers to, um, come do jury duty and then they'll like film the trial and film their like deliberations and stuff like that. And then put it into a documentary about the American judicial system. But everybody on the show is an actor except for this one guy. And the con is just so long and it's just like <laughs> this guy's optimism and like just blind acceptance of everything that's happening around him is just, it, it really sells the show. And it's, it's honestly, it's so good.
2: Nice. Yeah, I have to check it out. It's, like, half scripted and half, obviously, reality TV, right? Because the person is real. Uh, my rec for a TV show to watch this holiday season would be, if you have Apple TV, Tommy, do you have Apple TV?
3: Uh, No.
2: Damn, but you watch Severance, right? Yes. Okay, are you one of those people that, like, when a show, popular show comes on, you'll, like re up the subscription yeah. and then just cancel it if nothing good is on. Okay. Yeah.
3: For Apple TV, yes. For for other <laughs> stuff. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, Apple TV typically has pretty good stuff. Um, but if you ever want to re up Apple TV in advance of Severance season 2, my TV rec for people would be After Party. It's a comedy show, sitcom-ish comedy. They have two seasons, but the second season just came out recently and unfortunately this series is ending, but the second season is particularly Very clever, witty, fun, and just overall funny. It's like a murder mystery type show. Tiffany Haddish is in it. Uh, The second season has Ken Jeong and John Cho. But obviously, like a murder happens, and then Tiffany Haddish is a cop, and she goes to investigate. And the interesting thing about this show and the the unique thing about this show is every episode is told from the perspective of one of the witnesses that Tiffany Haddish uh, interrogates. And every episode kind of, parodies a genre of tv or film so like from the perspective of whoever's talking so like the first guy who talks they'll parody like a black and white 60s film or whatever and then the next one will parody like a high school musical type genre and then the next one will parody like scary movie something like that so each episode is different but it's still telling the same story and overall i think it's pretty witty and clever the way that they did everything so that's pretty cool yeah So those are our TV recs for this holiday season. Check out Jury Duty on Amazon Prime and After Party on Netflix. Now, if you're looking for some more recent shows that just dropped in the last month, my girlfriend and I are particularly enjoying the Korean reality dating show Singles Inferno. The third season just came out on Netflix not too long ago. So go check that out as well. All right, let's get to the meat of our episode, trade options, trade hypotheticals. Now, again, in this episode, we are just going to be covering marginal trades not involving D'Angelo Russell or Rui Hachimura, namely because Rui Hachimura cannot be dealt yet. Him and Austin Reeves are able to be dealt on January 15th, so we're still about a month away from that point. But now that we're past the December 15th trade milestone date— The Lakers can trade the likes of D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince, Cam Reddish, Christian Wood, and Jackson Hayes. This episode is going to be centered around what trade package, what marginal trade package, the Lakers can build using JHS as the center framework of any trade package. Now, Tommy, before I get into any options and names, what would you say at this point, what positions of need do you think the Lakers could Use right now they could always use everything i think recently we've seen that again without anthony davis they could use a big man i do have some big man options but outside of that what positions of need are you particularly drawn to right now when it comes to seeking outside help in the trade market i think the
3: two types of players i'd be looking for i'm gonna leave like a big man out of this because based on what we've known so far i think it's TBD what kind of big man we would need to acquire um, maybe to fill in. And we saw that 15th spot. Right. But I think the two things I'd be sort of interested in, maybe another playmaker or at least a secondary playmaker and a big guard who can defend, you know, we have Gabe and Gabe is really good defensively overall. And he is the first guy we've had in a very, very long time who could stick with like the small speedsters. But a bigger guard of like the Max Christie and Cam Reddish sort of size, but maybe someone with more experience than Christie and maybe more consistency than uh Reddish.
2: Cool. That all makes sense. With regards to looking for another playmaker, I'm going to reserve that template and type of player for another episode when we talk about D'Angelo Russell trades for other playmakers. So let's push that to the side. You talked about looking for bigger guards in the same vein as Max Christie and Cam Reddish stocking up on more of those guys. I do have some of those options for you. So I'm going to mainly focus on that type of player as well as 3 and D wings. Because in my opinion, you can never have enough 3 and D wings, 6'6 6, 6 plus or taller. And then the second half of our episode, I'm going to throw out some big man name options because I think it's becoming abundantly clear that Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are not going to cut it. When Anthony Davis goes down and while, like you said, we could still probably use our 15th roster spot on a buyout big man. It's slim pickings out there. And at this point, I think it might be better to try and trade for one on the cheap. And so I have a couple of names that we can look at. But first, with regards to trying to find a stronger, sturdier defensive guard around 6'5 to 6'7" the first candidate that I want to bring up. And I should mention, we're not going to talk about Alex Caruso today. We've talked about Alex Caruso ad nauseum. In fact, if you want to check out our thoughts on a potential Caruso and Zach Levine deal, check out episode 510, A Healthy Dose of D. But pushing Caruso and Zach Levine to the side, and actually still landing on the Chicago Bulls as a team to target. As it pertains to the Bulls, I do have another interesting young prospect in the stronger, sturdier defensive guard mold that you were talking about that I think the Lakers may want to look at. And I'm talking about Patrick Williams. There were some reports earlier in the year that the Bulls were more open to trading Pat away than Alex Caruso, who they expect a King's ransom for. I don't know where things stand right now. But yeah, Patrick Williams has actually had some pretty good games in December since Zach Levine went down. Through the first few weeks of December, he was averaging 14 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists on 52% from the field and 48% from 3, hitting 1.83s a game. Patrick Williams is, I feel like, a player who has kind of just been swimming beneath the surface uh, for the Chicago Bulls, mainly because he doesn't put up a lot of points, he doesn't really score, and he hasn't necessarily lived up to his lottery status hype. But yeah. What are your thoughts on trading for 22-year-old, former number four pick of the 2020 draft, Patrick Williams? He's making $9 million this year, and he has a $12 million team option next year. It's been reported that he wants like $20 million a year. Uh, I don't know about that. But what are your thoughts on six-seven Pat Williams with a seven-foot wingspan? He hasn't really shown much offensively in his first few years, but in low volume, he did shoot 41% from a three last year. And then I guess he was injured for much of 2021-22. Did shoot 39% his first year on very low volume, hitting 0.8 a game. Last year, he did shoot 1.4 from three, which is encouraging, while hitting 41% from the field. One steal, one block for Pat Williams, 10 points, four rebounds, one assist. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Maybe I'm just underestimating his value around the league, and maybe the Bulls can get much more than just JHS. But let's say, for the purposes of this exercise, you can get a Pat Williams for JHS and whatever we can throw together, including, like, a future second, future first. What are your thoughts on that guy and, like, mining his upside in hopes that, like, He's the next shiny wing who hasn't shown anything offensively, but you kind of know his uh, maybe defensive floor. And I'll just be honest and say, I haven't watched a lot of Pat Williams' tape, so even I'm not sure how he even defends on on the court. I was just looking for a potential high upside player who's been sort of swimming underneath the surface so far that the Lakers could potentially get. But yeah, your thoughts on Patrick Williams.
3: Yeah, I don't even know that he's like swimming beneath the surface really because like even in his first few seasons, like last year, he played 28 minutes a game for them. His rookie year, he played 28 minutes a game for them. Like he's been a fairly significant part of their rotation. Um, And they've been obviously pretty high on him. He, He appeared in all 82 last year. He hit it seemingly like improved himself as a three point shooter a little bit. And I think he is a pretty elite defender for his size. Plus he gives you like some rebounding. I think the thing with a guy like that is like, what's your end game? You know what I mean? We've committed to Rui on, on his contract. We've mm-hmm. committed to Vando on his contract. Is throwing another sort of 22-year-old high upside, like 6'8", 6'9", guy like, into the fray, like, what does that really accomplish for you, I guess? We we already don't have time to play the guys that we have in some ways. And, and so, like, I think Pat Williams is a solid player who I've been sort of interested in since his rookie season. I think the problem is, Unless you get yourself in a situation like Rui where you can get a guy who's going into uh, his negotiations and, and, you know, upcoming offseason of negotiations and no one wants to deal with him. So you can get him for some second rounders like that's a pretty low risk move because if he walks, he walks. But with Pat Williams, it's like we already know this dude wants over 20 million a year. Um, He's a number four pick. Sometimes, regardless of what your impact is, just being that high lotto pick gets you overpaid on your second contract um yeah, and so, like do we want to deal with that i don't i don't i don't
2: necessarily know i would say if if I told you that he was still under team control for the next three years, would you make that swap though? Let's just say it's mainly j h s for pat williams um I guess I would <laughs>
3: I guess I would make the swap. I, I just like again, I I'm not really sure where he plays, but but uh yeah, I guess it, it, if you if you're taking the perspective that it doesn't really hurt to have an infinite supply of these these 6869 guys, yeah. then then sure.
2: Yeah, I think it's about whether or not you trust like a 23-year-old to, you know, start for you. But in terms of like the upside play, if if you think you're getting in on the next Dorian Finney-Smith with higher offensive ceiling upside, I think I would do that. Again, the problem is, though, um, he is under contract for $9 million this year, and the next year they have to give him his qualifying offer of $12.9 million, and he's a restricted free agent, right? So I don't think the Lakers want to put themselves in a situation where they're already you know, almost a second apron team and they have to pay another forward $20 million. But in the vacuum of let's consolidate, Uh, Cam Reddish, uh, JHS, and Torian Prince maybe for a Patrick Williams. In that vacuum, it works, but in the context of where the Lakers are currently at, it does not work. But it's an interesting player to throw out there. Kind of similar to Pat Williams would be a guy like Isaac Okoro, 6'5", defensive, former number five pick in the 2020 draft. I believe he came right after Pat Williams, but obviously he'd be way more lower down on the rung in terms of prospective former lotto picks to take a look at. Isaac Okoro is not a volume three-point shooter, can't really do much on offense, even more so than Patrick Williams, and he hasn't really been able to find his footing in the NBA with the Cleveland Cavaliers thus far, and is about to become a restricted free agent next year. And yeah, he's just an athletic defensive clay that could be an interesting name to monitor, but he'd definitely be a couple rungs down from even a Pat Williams. Now, let's move on to another prospect that's a little bit more refined and someone that I'd like to categorize as an in-between fusion of Alex Caruso and Patrick Williams. And he fits that burly, sturdy 6'5'' defensive guard mold that you were talking about. This is a player that we've talked about a lot in the past. He was a free agent this offseason, but he was re-extended or extended by his current team. And I'm talking about 26-year-old Matisse Theibel, He's making $10 million this year, $11 million next year, and then he has an $11 million player option in 25-26. Now, we are running into the same sort of problems as Alex Caruso potentially, but I feel like Matisse Theibel has improved his three-point shot, and overall, with regards to his durability, I think he's much more durable at this stage than Alex Caruso. He's obviously three years younger. He shot 38% from three, hitting 1.5 a game in the 22 games he played last season for Portland after the trade. If he continues to improve from that respect, then I think it makes total sense. But yeah, what are your thoughts on getting in on 26-year-old Matisse Thibault?
3: Um, I think it comes down with Thibault to like how is he going to is he going to be able to make shots i mean he's like we know what he can do as a perimeter defender he kind of does fit that like mold of a bigger guard that i was envisioning who could defend on the perimeter i'm a little bit more intrigued by him because he has had like several years in the league at this point he's played in playoff games he's played in like yeah. he's played for winning teams um so i am i think i'm definitely a little more Uh, interested in something like that and and sorry you said this already but or maybe you did but what was his extension again
2: uh 10 million dollars this year 11 million dollars next year and then he has a player option in 25 26 so you lose control in three years but in terms of that's less than the mid-level for the next two years that's a pretty good deal
3: it's less than mid-level and yeah you lose control eventually which i guess you always do but in the lebron ad window You know, again, I'm just looking at his stats. Like, he not only increased his percentage last year with Portland, but he significantly, significantly increased his volume. I mean, with the Sixers, he was taking 1.3 threes a game. He was taking 3.9 threes a game with Portland. Remains to be seen in what he's going to do this year. Maybe the stats are going to be a little wonky because Portland is rebuilding and he might just be chucking some shots to get his reps (laughs) up, but. Yeah, that that is actually one that I'm pretty interested in if we can pull that off because he sort of fits the archetype of what this team is missing currently.
2: He is literally the guy that, I don't want to, I mean, he is literally the guy that we need against the Denver Nuggets in terms of physicality. He's like a burly guy with strong, broad shoulders. And on top of that, he's very athletic, you know? So he's like 6'5", 6'6", but he almost looks like a 6'8 wing out there. I'd almost describe him as... He's kind of Bruce Brown-esque in terms of like the bully ball nature of his game and just his body type. But I'd almost describe him as like a the shooting guard version of Aaron Gordon, you know? Yeah. So yeah, for me, I would totally make that swap. I don't know what... I'd totally make that swap with regards to trading JHS, you know, a couple seconds for Matisse Thybul. I'm not sure why Portland would do that deal because they already have Scoot Henderson, plus they still have Anthony Simons. But... If they would make that swap, i definitely make that trade. This year, to your point, we're not sure how much he can sustain his efficient three-point shooting, but thus far, Matisse Theibel is still shooting 40% from three on the year, hitting 1.5 threes a game. And then with regards to his stocks, 1.6 steals and 0.8 blocks in just 23 minutes is crazy. So yes, please, on Matisse Theibel. Okay, so let's move on to more of a taller 3 and D-ish type player and one that we've talked about in the past as well. Dorian Finney-Smith, 30 years old, $13 million this year, $14 million next year, $15 million player option in 25-26. Again, this assumes that the Nets would want JHS, but maybe they do since they have a lot of forwards, but your thoughts on getting DFS, it's not an exciting play, but it ensures you have a defensive floor for the playoffs these next two years or so
3: it's just like do we know like the thing with the um dfs is like dhs jhs yeah yeah. do we know that like he is necessarily going to for this group and what this group needs, is he necessarily better than Torian Prince? I mean, he is better defensively. Okay, like I'll I'll give you that. And Torian Prince is not a bad defender. DFS is just like that good. Um, is he enough better? And like where is it where are his minutes going to come? I mean, I guess you could say like he's part of our closing lineup with LeBron and AD. I just think we have other looks. Um, and given the age and given, you know, where our roster is and yeah i i don't know i i think it's easy to just project out like well we're not going to need jhs for this year so like let's just get rid of him you know now because he doesn't fit this lebron and ad timeline but are we trying to it's it's always a balance how much incrementally better does dfs make us such that it's worth sort of throwing away this again kind of upside that we have not fully realized yet um at this stage and to me dfs doesn't move the needle enough given where the rest of our roster is
2: yeah i think i would only make this move if let's say the nets are giving us like a young piece back or something um or even like a pick back i don't know why they would do that but yeah dorian finney smith is feels very desperate and could harken back to other win now moves that haven't worked out for us in the past like Zubots for Mike Muscala or something like that. Obviously, it's not apples to apples. DFS is like a much better player uh, than a Mike Muscala or a Reggie Bullock, but it feels sort of similar to those types of deals that we've made that ended up cri- not. I don't want to say crippling us, but you you look at Zubots on the other end and you're like, that's the type of big we need against Jokic, you know. So, so yeah, I'd be a little bit cautious and hesitant in that respect. Now, one guy who I think could fit the next DFS type mold would be. 6'8", Jordan Nora. Really want to quickly throw his name out there. He's a 6'8 wing on the Indiana Pacers who is currently buried on their depth chart behind guys like Aaron Neesmith, Benedict Matherin, and even their newest lotto pick Jairus Walker. Nora has great size at 6'8 with a 6'11 wingspan. He's strong. He's a strong, sturdy athletic player who can actually shoot He's a career 38% three-point shooter, and he shot 42% from three last year, hitting almost two a game for the Pacers, after he was traded from the Bucks, He also averaged 13 points, four rebounds, and two assists for them last year. But this year, again, he's just buried on the bench, only averaging like 12 minutes a game, DNPing in most of them. He's only making $3 million this year and is expiring next year, so he's an unrestricted free agent next year. So... The Lakers could just give up a minimum player and a couple seconds or even just a second for Nora and likely get him. Another young wing prospect who's only 25 years old. So yeah, just wanted to shoehorn Jordan Nora's name in there as well because I would almost rather prefer the Lakers go after a younger Nora type than a DFS type. I'm sure others will disagree with me because DFS is more of the sure product. I just don't like having to expend Additional assets if we can get a younger player with more upside. So, yeah, keep a lookout for Jordan Nora. Now, before we take it to break, one last guy I want to talk about, and we're going to shift positions one last time, and we're going to go back to Tommy's mold of a more defensive type guard. And this is going to be the smallest player that we're going to talk about in this episode. But I want to talk about Sixers guard DeAnthony Melton, expiring $8 million. Again, I'm not sure if the Sixers would just. Trade him to us for JHS. I'm sure if they open him up to the rest of the market, they could get more. But in a vacuum, uh, your thoughts on D'Anthony Melton, because he is expiring, but he's that sort of exact type of guard you were talking about in terms of gritty defensive guard who can also kind of shoot, but also kind of playmake as well. Your thoughts on De'Anthony Melton, who surprisingly is only 25 years old. And this is De'Anthony Melton out of USC. Fight on.
3: Yeah, I've always been a huge De'Anthony Melton fan. Um, I think he's sort of like, maybe this is overstating it, but he sort of feels to me like this, I don't, I'm don't. i not comparing their games, but like that Tyus Jones sort of comp where it's like he's been floating around as mostly a bench player. I, I know he started a lot of games for the Sixers last year, but you just sort of imagine in a bigger role, like, He could be even better. I mean, he hit two threes a game, hit 39% at 39% last year. The prior year, he was at 1.937%. The prior year, 1.741%. So he's like a significantly improved shooter from what we saw, like his first couple of seasons. He can make free throws. He gets rebounds at 6'3. He's like a four rebound per game average guy. He can do some playmaking. So, you know, I talked about like a guy who could do some secondary playmaking. And he gets a ton of seals and we know what he could do defensively. DeAnthony Melton, I would definitely, definitely, I, I think to your point, like, I don't think that we have a package to get him, but if he becomes available, he's definitely the type of guy I would go after.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. DeAnthony Melton, even though he's six, three, he's almost like, if I'd almost describe him as if the Lakers got prime Avery Bradley and if it was a one-for-one one, one swap between him and Gabe Vincent, I would definitely take DeAnthony Melton over Gabe Vincent. Obviously, again, we're not sure if the Sixers would even do something like that. DeAnthony Melton on the year is averaging 12 points, four rebounds, 3.5 assists, and 1 1.6 steals. He's struggling a bit from the field this year, shooting like in the 39 to 40% range, but he is shooting 37% from three, hitting two threes a game. I'm guessing Philly would probably want a legit first-round pick for him because he's been pretty integral to their team. But who knows? Again, he's on an expiring deal. If the Lakers could find a way to acquire his services, I would be so down. But yeah, the competition for him if he's out on the market amongst contending teams will probably be very stiff. All right, with that said, let's take it to break. When we return, we will get to what you've all been waiting for. We will go through some big man trade target options. All right, so we are back. To close this episode out, I wanted to talk to you guys about some big man trade targets that the Lakers could go after. Um, really quickly off the top here, though, um, I know Kelly Olynyk is a, always an obvious trade target for the Lakers dating back to last year, last season, when we talked about him ad nauseum as well, so I won't belabor the Kelly Olenek point, but if the Lakers can get him for a couple of seconds, they should. Uh, Though he does make $13 million, so Gabe Vincent or Torian Prince. So either Gabe Vincent or Torian Prince plus two or three other veteran minimum guys would have to go in any Kelly Olinick deal. So before I pitch it to my trade options with Tommy, I'm adding this addendum to this episode and going to give you guys two additional big man trade target options that I wasn't able to talk with Tommy about. The first one would be the Spurs' Zach Collins' Now, the Spurs signed him to a two-year extension worth about $36 million after this year when he's only making $7 million. He started off the year as the starting center next to Wembenyama, but since he's been moved to the bench, Zach Collins' minutes and production have drastically decreased. And as we all know, the Spurs could desperately use a point guard to help set Wembenyama up because Trey Jones... So, Chan, they aren't cutting it. So, why not kick the rocks on a mid-lotto rookie in Jalen hood Shafino, who still has three or four years left of contract control under his belt? For the Lakers, it's obvious. While Zach Collins isn't the big, burly, bruising big they'd likely want against a Jokic type, Zach Collins is the more stable, versatile, higher b-ball IQ version of Christian Wood. He's more in the Kelly Olenek type of big, actually, who... Possesses even better shot blocking ability than a Kelly Olenek, and a little more upside, obviously, at his age as well. So, Zach Collins is a name that I would circle for the Lakers if the Spurs would somehow be willing to make a deal with the Lakers. Unlikely, but there's Zach Collins. And then I'd also look at 26 year old Nick Richards out of Charlotte. He's a seven footer with a seven foot four wingspan. For those who don't know, Nick Richards is a really solid big man with a nice free throw stroke. He's always done a great job as a fill-in starter for the Hornets. He did so last year. He did. He's doing so this year in place of Mark Williams whenever Mark Williams is out. He averaged 8.6 rebounds, 1.1 1. 1 blocks in just 18 minutes last year. This year, he's averaging 8.6 rebounds, 1.3 blocks on 71% from the field and 81% from the line in just 20 minutes. He's long. He's agile. Pretty athletic. He's like a younger, poor man's version of Tyson Chandler with some shooting touch. So I would 100% try and go after Nick Richards, especially because it likely won't cost the Lakers all that much to acquire him. He's making $5 million this year, $5 million next year, and a non-guaranteed $5 million in 2025-26. And in my opinion, you're not going to find a better bench big with those measurables and that skill set at that price than Nick Richards. Okay, so let's bring Tommy back in and we'll go through the rest of our big man options for this episode. I do want to caveat the fact that we do end up talking about Robert Williams in this section. And obviously, as you all know, Robert Williams is out for the season. But just treat our discussion on Robert Williams as a hypothetical for the type of long-term young big man with upside that the Lakers may want to start looking for, especially as we inch closer and closer to LeBron's exit and start to turn the keys over to Anthony Davis. uh, Because as Anthony Davis continues to get older and older, he will continue to need some big man support. So yeah, just keep in mind, when we start talking about Robert Williams, obviously we know he's out for the year but think of it as a hypothetical discussion. And there are some younger, higher upside big man names that we talk about in the same vein as Robert Williams as well. So, okay, Tommy, let's bring you back in and let's get on with the rest of our big man trade option targets. All right, Tommy, so I have four big man names for you to nibble at. I think it's been very apparent this season that whenever Anthony Davis has had to sit a game The Lakers still, in spite of all the forwards they have on their roster, in spite of Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes, Rui Hachimura playing center at times, in spite of their versatility at the forward spot, it's clear that we still don't have a real legit big man who can protect the rim for us. And so I have a couple of names for you to digest and go over and assess. I'll start off with the two older names first and then we'll get into some younger prospects. So, your thoughts on Jonas Valanciunas, 31 years old, $15 million this year, expiring contract next year. I'm not sure if we'll even get a deal done with the New Orleans Pelicans at this point um, and David Griffin, but let's say they're ready to move on from Jonas Valanciunas. What are your thoughts about Jonas at 31 years old being that... Zubots type player who can actually shoot threes you're not sure where he's at health wise or whatever how much juice he has left but he is a big burly dude who can bang down low
3: he is i I, my my comment on which is going to probably apply to a lot of these guys is that like we, as a team, are naturally limited by who our stars are. We have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They both are going to play in the front court, especially LeBron at this stage in his career. Like, maybe you could say he's a wing, but he's a big wing, okay? And and Anthony Davis is more of a center. Um, can he play with Valanciunas? Of course, because can't. like you mentioned, I mean, he's not a high-volume shooter, but he's a threat to take a perimeter shot. Um, he's a scorer. He gets rebounds. Um, and frankly, his biggest de- weaknesses are def- uh, defensively in the pick and roll and um, as a rim protector. But you can sort of with with having AD out there and having some of the other bigger wings, like you figure you could probably mask that a little bit. I think the bigger problem with though with a Valanchunas type of player is like, how do you find the minutes for him? Because you don't want him. I mean, he's a career twenty six. You know, minutes per game, but the last four or five years, he's high twenties. You know, thirty years ago, a couple or thirty minutes a couple years ago, um, you know, dropped to twenty five last year. But and that could have been partially health related. But um, you know, you don't want. (laughs) AD is going to be playing bulk of the bulk of his minutes in the at the five and like if he's not and you're playing him with Valanciunas like that's probably a fairly significant um a pro- probably a fairly insignificantly used lineup I guess because like we don't know where AD's shot is going to land this year but he's not going to be elite enough of a shooter to have like two low volume three point guys out there I think at any given time um so that and the combination of like he's not going to give you a whole lot defensively he just kind of checks boxes as a rebounder I, I I'm i not super into Valanciunas's fit although I think he's a good player
2: yeah I think in a vacuum if you can remove all the context about how much he's getting paid what you're having to give up for him and if you're just like like let's say Jonas Valentinus, we just got him for like maybe the mini mid-level, right? And you're just using him situational and he's okay with that. In all the perfect circumstances where everything is going right, I would love to have a Jonas Valanciunas type player. But again, as you pointed out, that is not the case. He's still a player with pedigree who expects minutes and a role. He's getting played $50 million. And in this scenario, if you have to give up a JHS, that's probably not where you want to allocate your resources to. Um, what about these younger players? Because then I can make a case for why. Trading JHS for them would make a lot of sense because you're seeing what Derek Lively is doing with the Dallas Mavericks and how we wanted Derek Lively in the first place. But what about Nick Claxton, 24 years old, expiring $8 million on the Brooklyn Nets, and then Daniel Gafford, another player that we've talked about a ton in the past, 25 years old, $12 million this year, $13 million next year, and then $14 million in 25-26. So that's three years of control for Daniel Gafford. It remains to be seen whether Daniel Gafford is a player that you can trust or whether he's like Jackson Hayes-ish. And I'm not even trying to say anything bad about Jackson Hayes because, you know, in the preseason he looked stellar. Um, But it's always harder to, to trust these younger bigs. But given the profile and... Maybe I'm talking myself in circles here. Maybe it's easier to trust a younger big just because they have a very defined role that they have to execute. And Daniel Gafford, like Nick Claxton, is at the end of the day, very athletic. Um, but yeah, your thoughts on Daniel Gafford and Nick Claxton, both about 24, 25 years old. Um,
3: I I just don't know that like either of those guys... I mean, they give us some athleticism in the front court. I just feel like we're getting some semblance of that with like Jackson Hayes, right? I, and none, none of these three guys are like perimeter shooting. Like in my opinion, serious perimeter shooting threats. Yeah. Although I know you're a big Jackson Hayes as a perimeter shooter fan. Um, <laughs> I am. He hasn't done but, it yet. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, again, it's like with the fit with AD, you know, it's like if we could do offense, defense substitutions, you make a lot of these trades. Right. But, but I think, overall game flow and how we need to use ad and lebron in the front court i think i don't i don't think it makes sense to me
2: i think for nick claxton it makes a lot of sense because that guy is a defensive beast and if you can just that's literally like getting Derek lively in my opinion the problem with the nick claxton thing is i don't think the brooklyn nets would make that sort of swap and if they were to open him up to the market i feel like they would get more than just a number 17th pick from this past draft named JHS. Maybe if you had a Cam Whitmore, but that's another discussion altogether. So I would do it for Nick Claxton. Not sure about Daniel Gafford, even though having him under contract for th- those three years at pretty much the mid-level is not bad. Uh, but yeah, your concerns are, are, are well warranted. My last guy that I want to talk about here with regards to someone who's a big is Robert Williams, formerly Boston Celtic, now on the Portland Trailblazers due to the uh, Drew Holiday trade. Robert Williams is 26 years old. He's like 6'9" 6'10", but he has a 7'6" wingspan, making 11 million dollars this year, 12 million dollars next year and then 13 million dollars the year after that. He is very brittle, not that durable, so there are the biggest concerns right off the bat, but you know, best case scenario, he's healthy. What are your thoughts on the athletic shot blocking menace that is Robert Williams?
3: Again, in, in h- as a in a vacuum, as a defensive player, yeah, of course, it, it would be a very nice fit, and him and AD would just wreak havoc in the paint. Um, again, though, I just, you, I can't imagine playing those two guys together offensively, um, and I think it would, the, the lack of spacing and the issues that would be created on that end may not be worth it. I mean, I guess, like, again, a big caveat to all of this is we did play two big lineups, like, most of our championship run so maybe it is possible and I'm just understated underselling it but same concerns I have for I think a lot of the other guys
2: my so I mean yeah your points are well taken my kind of argument to that is wouldn't you want to with regards to these younger bigs seeing as to how we seem to have this revolving door of like big man year in year out wouldn't you want to actually invest in a young guy who you know can actually do that job, regardless of whether or not he has a sustained role this season. But with regards to like a Daniel Gafford or a Robert Williams, who you have control over for the next three years, at the very least, yeah, maybe this year, they're only going to get situational 15 minutes. And for Robert Williams, who's very brittle, maybe that's a good thing. But next year, it's like, okay, in order to sustain AD, we already have our big man versus trying to find the next Mo Bamba and Jackson Hayes again on the vet min market, you know? Do you, do you see my point?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a decent rationale, I think, especially, but, but again, it, it sort of commits the front office and the coaching staff to be aligned on how we are planning to deploy AD moving forward.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, So this is going to be a, a slight amendment to what we just previously talked about, because we had talked about Robert Williams being one of the the young bigs that the Lakers could maybe trade for mid-season, but obviously Robert Williams is no longer a viable Lakers trade target because he is out for the rest of the season. And at this point, because of his injury history, maybe he will never be a viable trade candidate for the Lakers. So some another young big that I pulled out of my butt in his place would be Isaiah Jackson, the number 22 pick of the Washington Wizards in 2021, who got the pick from us in the Westbrook trade, which they then shipped off to Indiana. So this is the Indiana center, Isaiah Jackson. He is 6'11", with a 7'3 wingspan, uber-athletic, crazy shot blocker, actually has some shooting potential. Only 21 years old. To me, this is like the next Nick Claxton, who we just talked about, Daniel Gafford, who we also talked about. He's the next Nick Claxton, Daniel Gafford type. Currently, he's a little bit buried behind Miles Turner and Jalen Smith. This is his third season, only averaging 14 minutes. And to me, he represents that sort of next draft sort of player at the big man position that the Lakers like to trial out. We've seen them trial trial it out with Mo Bamba, Jackson Hayes. They haven't yet necessarily gotten it right, but I think Isaiah Jackson could be that player. Per 36-wise, he averages 3.3 blocks and 17 points and 9 rebounds, but that's per 36. Anyways... My quick question to you is, what do you think about Isaiah Jackson? And if you can just get him for JHS and Max Christie straight up, would you do something like that? The bigger question, though, is would the Pacers do this? Because I don't think they do this. (laughs) Um, But let's just say that the Pacers are okay with trading Isaiah Jackson and bringing in more guards like JHS and Max Christie, even though they have Tyrese Halliburton already. What are your thoughts on on a young cornerstone big like Isaiah Jackson if the Lakers could get him? Um, I mean, I like his
3: numbers defensively. I just don't know enough about this guy's game. That's, um, you know, I think the problem with all these bigs is we need one, right? But what is the investment? And, And bigs have almost become like point guards in the past where like you knew that it didn't really matter who you had as a point guard on your roster. Like obviously the elite teams want the, like, you know, who are building a team around a point guard, the Warriors, you know, whoever, like that, that, that this is a factor for them. But like, historically, right, it was always like, oh, well, in the summer, you're going to be able to find a point guard for the minimum. I feel like that has become like a center thing. Like in the summer, you will find a center for the minimum who could be a serviceable body. We did it with Hayes. um, You know, this past year, we've done it historically over the past few weeks, obviously the championship year, we got both JaVale and Dwight that summer Um, we were able to get Marcus all that one summer so it's like you can get guys and if you're really building a team around Anthony Davis moving forward how much are you investing into another young big man and I'm not saying contract wise per se but like again Max Christie, Jay Jazz like this season probably not going to do a whole lot for us Future, we're talking about a night, a, a couple twenty-year-old young guards who could be like cornerstone pieces of our of our backcourt, and those are not necessarily easy, you know. Like with the amount of upside these guys have, it's not necessarily easy to to take that back. And and not to say Isaiah Jackson does not have that upside, I think he has good upside, but uh, it's just, are you going to trade like two potential? guards who can play with AD for a guy who is exclusively going to be probably playing with AD off the court. Um, I don't know. I don't know that you do it.
2: I think I would because I know a little bit more about his game, but I think yeah, I mean your your points are well taken. I think if Isaiah Jackson was on still had three years left on his contract, this would be an easier yes for sure. He's only I mean this is third year, so he's about to enter, you know, that restricted free agency period that makes it tough, but in terms of thinking about the future by flanking AD with like an athletic big man. Cause I don't know if AD at the five forever is going to be the thing with AD once LeBron is gone. So if we're thinking about the future, I think investing in maybe a younger athletic big man now and getting in early on that type of player may be shrewd. But I think I, I, I think your point is well taken as well in terms of, you know, giving up on a JHS too, because you would need, a primary ball handler next to AD when that time comes anyways. But yeah, that's Isaiah Jackson. That's another young big to replace, to use in place of Robert Williams, who is now out for the rest of the season. But someone who I feel like you can get maybe cheaper than a Robert Williams. But again, this may be moot because I don't think the Pacers do it. All right, guys, with that said, that'll do it for this trade-tacular holiday episode Uh, Thank you guys for bearing with us as we mishmash previous recorded segments to try and come up with something fresh and new. Uh, Just wanted to wish everybody a happy holidays, merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah to everyone out there. Thanks for rocking with the Lakers Legacy Podcast, and we shall see you guys in the new year with some fresh new content. We're also going to push out another trade-centric podcast coming up uh, in the next week or two. It'll be more D'Angelo Russell-centric. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But with that said, everybody, please enjoy your time off with friends and family. Relax. Watch some good Lakers basketball, hopefully. And yeah, follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Please find us on the Spotify app. Look up our page and hit that five-star dial at the top of our page. We would greatly appreciate it. It would be the greatest Christmas gift you could give us this holiday season alright with that said we will catch you guys next time Tommy I will see you later peace ladies